The title this morning is The Key of David. The Key of David is a spiritual principle taught in both the Old and New Testament we want to talk about. And I believe it's going to help you today. Before I share that, let me share something humorous. heard about this couple that were out shopping and the husband reminded the wife, now honey, you can look but don't buy anything because we're out of money for this month. She said, I promise, I'm just looking. And they separated and then she found a dress and she could not resist it. So in secret she bought it, she hid it and when she got home she put it in a hiding place in the closet. Well later on that week the husband was looking for something in the closet and found the dress and saw the price tag and said to his wife, I told you honey we don't have any money this month. Why would you buy this dress? And she said, the devil tempted me and I couldn't resist. And the husband said, well, if Satan tempted you, you got to tell him, Satan, get behind me. She said, I did. And the devil said it looked even better from back there. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Try that on your husband next time. Tell me how it goes. Isaiah 22, 22 says this. There was a significant strategic change of leadership happening in the temple. And this is a prophecy about that. An ungodly leader who really defiled the temple for a season of time was being replaced by a, a godly leader that God was empowering to bring righteous change. And the Bible says this, the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he will open and no one will shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. So it's an obvious indication of authority being delegated for a responsible task of advancing the kingdom, of bringing a righteous cleansing and a, and a just outcome into the circumstance. God empowered this person, but he called it the key of the house of David. Well, Jesus himself adopts these words in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, and it says this, and unto the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy and is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So Jesus ultimately is the one who holds the keys. Remember in the first chapter of Revelation, Jesus said this, I am he. He appeared to John and he wasn't. Um, you know, five foot seven with long hair, sandals, and a robe. He was as tall as the Empire State Building. His voice sounded like Niagara Falls. His skin shone like the sun. And he said this, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and of the grave. Jesus said, I stripped from the devil the power of eternity. He could no longer consign people to his jurisdiction. I have it now. Jesus holds all the keys. Remember, he said this to us. All authority in Matthew 28, all authority, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of the nation, nations baptizing in him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
So Jesus said, I give you my authority to win the nations. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was, he beautifully invited the disciples into a learning lesson. And he said this, who do men say, I the son of man am? Half the answer was included in his question. And the answer, they begin to shout out, well, some say you're John the Baptist resurrected. Some say you're Elijah that's come back. And they begin to spout off different opinions that the culture had about him. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? The most important question that you'll ever have in life is, who do you say Jesus is? And there was quiet, but all of a sudden, Simon the fisherman, Simon Barjona said, I know, I know, I know. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, I all, in my mind, I always imagine Jesus being surprised who got it. You, you with me? The fisherman, the uneducated fisherman, he didn't have a religious education or even a natural education. He's a fisherman, kind of a open mouth, insert foot guy. And he says, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. I say unto you, Simon, you are now Peter. Petros is a small rock taken from a large rock. You are a rock. Here's the guy who was potentially the most unstable of all 12 disciples. And Jesus said, man, you're the rock. And the rest of the guys are going, what are you talking about? The guy's up and down, up and down, up and down. But Jesus told him who he really was. Here's who you really are. You are a rock. And then he said, then upon this rock, Petra, big rock, I will build my church. The rock of the church is the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And he said this, I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell, don't get lost in that phrase, gates of hell simply means the authority structure of the devil and his army. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that I built. Let me just remind you, the church belongs to Jesus. The devil cannot defeat it. No, no, so no matter what things look like or you hear people saying, the church is the idea of God. Jesus is the author, he's the initiator, and he's the Lord of the church. And Jesus said, the devil himself cannot defeat my church. And then he said, building on that, and I give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose or permit on earth shall be permitted in heaven. So Jesus said, I have the authority. I'm sharing it with you. So you represent my purposes. Build my kingdom with these keys. What do keys do? Open doors or shut doors? What do keys do? Allow things or stop things. I, I, I just want to say this to you. Often the church 
ask God to do things he's already given you the keys to do. I'll come back there. So Jesus said, I'm the key of David. I'm the one who opens. I'm so glad. Jesus said in the eons of time before the creation, he spoke out my name, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1. He said, Michael, Charles Maiden will be mine. Every demon in hell could not stop. He opened salvation. And I simply walked into the calling he had already given me. He bound the devil and he claimed. So, so what Jesus opens, no devil can shut. <clears throat> can, can I go a little further? What you open in the name of Jesus, no devil can shut. Huh? <clears throat> Now, the reason I want to talk about this because it is beautifully insightful that what Christ took and developed to us was called the key of David. So David did things that no other man had ever done in Israel. And he didn't do, just do them because, oh, God just really loved him. God did, and God loves you. But David did it because he walked in the fullness of the beautiful identity he had as God's child. And we're gonna talk about that. David is anointed king at 30 by Judah. And then seven years later, the northern tribes, the other 11 tribes also anoint him. So he's now king over all of Israel. The first thing he does is found here in 2 Samuel chapter five. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. By the way, Chronicles tells us at this point, Jerusalem wasn't called Jerusalem. It was called Jebus. It had been called Jebus for a thousand years because the Jebusites inhabited it and controlled it. Ugh. The inhabitants of the land who spoke to David saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will, will repel you. So there's all kinds of, I think, of interpretations to that. But I simply see it, they said this, our weakest, most broken people can defeat your strongest warriors. For a thousand years, they've been undefeated. They've become arrogant. They're hubris now, being spilled out over the wall as they shout down to David. You can't come in here. People have tried before. And nevertheless, verse seven, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. In one day, he did what others could not do in a thousand years. Hmm. But David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. So he incentivized his leaders and said, whoever gets there first, he said, I know how to get in the water shaft. Here's a key. And so Joab was the one who got in first. It became captain of his army. And David dwelt in the city of the stronghold. Excuse me, verse 9. David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. So it had been abused for a thousand years. Now it's the city of David. 
God wants things that belong to him back. He wants them repossessed. He wants them dispossessed. He wants them restored. And he wants them correctly named. God can't bless it until you stop cursing it. Stop agreeing with the devil about strongholds he's established in your world or in our generation as all oh, these things can never change. Ah, ah, they can. They must. They will. That's why we're here to bring these changes. So David called it the city of David and built around Milo and inward. So he established it. The city of David grew to become Zion, the most talked about mountain in the Bible is the hill where the tabernacle was set up, the tabernacle of David, etc. David went on and became great, and the Lord was with him. So David now conquers the unconquerable, defeats the undefeatable, because he's carrying some, some properties in his identity. I posted this yesterday. You're about to do things they said you could never do. You're about to do things they said would never be done. You're about to go places they said you'd never be able to go. What they simply don't know is, oh man, they don't know this, but we know. God has called and chosen and anointed you to do what seems impossible to them. <clears throat> Embedded into your very identity as a child of God is everything necessary to fulfill the purpose of God for your life to conquer every giant, to fulfill every purpose. Now, here's what happened, because this was in Jer you know, Jerusalem, the city of God. It was in the territory that God assigned to Moses and Joshua to conquer, but it hadn't been conquered. Joshua 15, 63 says this, as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Ju Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. So Judah, Judah means praise. Judah, I would say, is a type of the priestly anointing of worship. So the worship, the prayer army, the worship army, by themselves were not able to cleanse Jebus, to cleanse Jerusalem. So next book of the Bible is Judges. A new generation arises, same Unfinished business needs to be done. But the children of Benjamin, Judges 121, did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabit Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Now here's the point. Benjamin was known as the tribe of kings. King Saul, first king of Benjamin. So the kingly anointing could not drive out the Jebusites by itself. The priestly anointing could not drive out the Jebusites. But here comes David, who's a priest and a king. Let me say it like this. Nobody worshiped like David. He's, he, is, he is focused and spotlighted. He wrote the largest book of the Bible called Psalms. He was a worship fanatic. He cried out to God. He experienced God in ways that no one in the Old Covenant was supposed to. Worship took him places he wasn't supposed to be and gave him things he wasn't supposed to have. Worship did all these, but, but David wasn't just a worshiper. He was a warrior. He was a king. 
And when those things finally came together in one person, a worshiping warrior, a priest and a king, he was able to fulfill the will of God in the earth. Now here's what the Bible says about you, my friend. First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a king and a priest, a holy nation, a special people that you might show forth the attributes, the virtues, the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's what God said. Your identity has the power to fulfill the purpose of God in the earth. You don't need a special anointing. You need to activate the one you already got. You're a priest and you're a king. This concept is so important because the church has had it backwards for so long. For so long, we've had a clergy laity system. And so the priests were pastors and, and priests and people that worked in church. And so people say they would bring their prayer requests and we would pray for them. But that's no longer the position we're in. The Bible says now every believer has access to God. Every believer has a priestly anointing. Don't ask me to do your praying. I got enough praying on my own. Now, I love to pray for people I do all the time. But never think somehow I possess some kind of secret power with God. Anything that works in my life works because of faith. It works because I believe God's word and I'm walking in my priestly and kingly anointings, the same as you. So it's important because the, the, the clergy laity system said this, well, the, the, all the people, well, we're out there, we're, we're kings and queens. We're out there facing the devil and fight. We're out there, you know, doing real work. And the priests are in the church, you know, all huddled around and praying. And, and, and what a bad picture. Every believer is a king. Every believer is a priest. Every believer is anointed to change the world. Every believer is anointed to transform cities, to kill giants. Every, every believer is anointed to be an intercessor and a worshiper. Every believer is anointed to be a devil caster outer and a city taker. Every believer. That includes you. Now, Revelation chapter 1 says this. Same idea, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over all the kings of the earth. I love this next sentence. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Oh, my friend, I just got to remind you, you are so loved. You are so loved that God gave his only son and put him on a cross that by his shed blood, your sins might be forgiven and not just forgiven, but remitted and forgotten. Oh, what kind of love is this? The next verse says this, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When I was, I came to God as a sinner, he washed me in his blood and washed all my sins away. But that wasn't the end of what he's done. He adopted me to his family. He filled me with his spirit. 
He gave me his righteousness. And then he told me my identity. You're now a king. You're now a priest. Go change the world for me. You're a king and you're a priest. You're a king and you're a priest. See, the problem with the church is this. When churches are only priestly, they might have beautiful prayer, beautiful worship, beautiful consecration, all beautiful things. But when they're not kings, the priestly church always loses territory when it's not walking in his kingly authority. The devil takes cities back. And what's going on? What's going on? It's because we're only priests and we, we've, you know, resigned ourselves. Well, we can't do anything. Stop it. You can do something. You have the keys. Bind the devil. Stop the devil. Rebuke the devil. Open heaven. Release God's will. Come on, a year ago this week, or last week, I stood in a pulpit in Turlock, California. I prophesied the drought in California would end. I did it boldly for half an hour. I said the greatest rain that California's ever, ever had is going to hit them. Those things happened, not because I'm a priest. I heard them as a priest. I prophesied them as a king. I said, this is how it's going to be. <clears throat> well, I don't know if my family's going to be saved. Stop it. You boldly declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Priests intercede appropriately and beautifully, but kings decree. And the difference is substantial. I was sitting in the doctor's office 20 years ago, and I was very sick, diagnosed with stage four cancer, incurable, inoperable, etc. Mary was right next to me. The doctor was going on and on for half an hour about what appropriately, about all that I, I would be looking forward to. <laughs> and I leaned across the desk and I said, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. <clears throat> I wasn't trying to be rude. I was just telling the devil how my story was going to end. <laughs> God healed me. Just like he said it would. Re Rome, excuse me, Revelation chapter 5. They sing a new song. Please don't get tired. I know, I know somebody like, Every week, new song here. What's going on? I barely learned last week's songs. It's right in the Bible here. They sing a new song. Okay, that might be an exaggerated interpretation. Saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. So he redeemed us out of something. And then he redeemed us into something. And has made us kings and priests to our God, and we will reign on the earth. Now, that has, that has a dual. Of course, in the millennial reign, we will reign with Christ, literally, in over nations. But if you think the only time you're going to reign is after Christ comes, you're missing out on your calling to live in the authority of Christ now. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, for those who have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through Jesus Christ. God wants you to reign. 
What does that mean? To express the authority of the kingdom of God, changing things that need to be changed. For a thousand years, Jebus stood as a, as a finger in God's eye. It wasn't God that couldn't deliver Jebus. It was men until God finally found a priest and a king. And God's raising up an entire generation of people that aren't just priests or aren't just kings. They're both. They pray and fast, but they declare and they fight. They worship with passion, but also they, they walk in authority. The combination of that, of that union, that identity, makes you unstoppable, gives you the key of David. My friend, you are the key of David. God wants you to walk in it in this lifetime. <clears throat> Lastly, let me close with some comparison. The, the attributes of the priestly anointing are obvious. I prayed this morning, I pray every day for the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, patience, self-control. Against us there is law. Every day I put on the nature of Jesus. I need your love. I need your love. Fill me, fill me, fill me with love. Because people are so stupid. Fill me with love. <clears throat> fill me, fill me with love. So I don't react unkindly. So I walk in love. Fill me with love. Every day I do that because the fruit of the Spirit allows me to have the nature of Jesus. The character of Jesus. To be like Jesus. Every believer should claim that. But every day I also pray for the nine gifts of the Spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit, with your wonderful charisma of prophecy and diverse tongues, interpretation of tongues, working of miracles, gifts of healing, supernatural faith, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and discerning the spirits. The gifts of the Spirit allow me to exercise kingly authority. Come on. The church, like two wings, is called to have both. I can do the works of Jesus through the gifts. I learned the ways of Jesus through the fruit. They're both essential. Now, part of, in closing, just some fast-track things. So, what does it mean to be a, a priest? Well, prayer and worship, of course. Christ-likeness, surrender, humility, obedience. All these things are important. Now, here's what happens. When a king, when a Christian walks in their kingly authority, but forsakes their priestly mantle, they always become arrogant, they always become harsh, and they always become unpleasant to others. They misrepresent God because there's no balance in their disposition of authority. You have to stay with me. Because all of us have met Christians that had no love. Their words may be right, but when it was absent love, it ended up hurting and making things wrong. So we don't want to be that way. Conversely, the church or the believer that has the fruit of the Spirit or the nature of God, but does not feel any mandate to change the world, celebrates victories while they're being defeated. The city's on fire. But oh, oh man, look what God's doing here today. Uh. 
world's going to hell. Ah, it's not our problem. Kings are sleeping while the devil is roaring. We need both. So the priestly anointing, calling, helps me stay humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The priestly anointing, I, I function by being submitted, obedient. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. So we need the priestly anointing, then we need a kingly anointing. Why? Because the devil is a wild, ravenous beast. He will not stop until someone by the authority of Christ stops him. And the mistake the church makes is we're begging God to do things he gave us the keys to do. Here. You do it. You do it. You do it. Whatever you bind shall be bound. Whatever you loose shall be loosed. So that's both of those, the union of things makes them unstoppable. <clears throat> the priestly dreams of beautiful intimate encounters with God. I love intimate encounters with God. The kingly dreams of the next battle I can win for Jesus. King's dream of conquest. And when the church stops thinking like winners, come on, I was watching the game yesterday, Alabama football game. Game's over. Hail Mary pass, they win at the thing. It was, I felt bad for the other team, and I was, kind of, I was rooting for Alabama. Oh, yeah. Come back. What, what do you think? You have to believe while there's breath in your lungs, God wants to do great things through your life. And it's your comeback time. God doesn't just turn things around because he wants to, he wills to, he longs to, or even he promises to. God needs someone to start talking about turn around before anything happens. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta talk like a king. And you gotta tell the devil where things stand. When you do, things change. I want you to say this with me, would you please? Stand your feet and say this with me. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ. I thank you that in Jesus, you've made me a priest and a king. Today I pray for both of these anointings to be activated and stirred. I want to be everything a priest should be. I want to be everything a king should be. Show me where I'm deficit and help me grow in that area. I thank you, God, that I'm anointed to be a history maker and a world shaker to Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, someone give out a shout of praise. Picture me as your, your gym coach. That take a lot of imagination, but picture me. You're working at the gym. You come in. You've got a magnificent right bicep. I mean, it's bulging. You've worked out. It's powerful. And a little scrawny lift. Well, my task would be to make 
the scrawny arm as strong as the strong arm. The Holy Ghost will help you in deficiency to grow in areas you're weak in. Because some of our problems are related to unfulfilled dynamics of our identity. And if we could simply walk in the fullness of that kingdom identity, man, watch what God will do in our story. Amen. Thank you for listening to me today. Prayer team, if you join me down front. We celebrate, and I mentioned it uh, just a moment ago, the most important thing in life is who and you as a person declare Jesus Christ is. If you've never received the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we're so honored that you're here today, and we'd be, you know, really honored to pray with you. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. The Bible says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life. If you've never known Jesus, man, make this your comeback day, your coming to him day. If you've been away from God, man, I'm proud of you for making it to church or listening or watching by internet. Make this your comeback Sunday. If you need a healing in your body, your heart, your mind, a breakthrough in your life, say, Pastor, I just need some help. We know in the holiday season, discouragement, especially anxiety and depression, spike high. We're not going to give the devil the month of December. And if you've had a pattern of falling into that, that kind of habitual uh, emotional trap, we're going to prophesy it's going to be different this year, okay? Anyone wanting prayer, come and join us. Just for 90 seconds, Florida Church, would you worship God with me? For those seeking prayer before. I will witness your faith.